Welcome back to the Getting Grit Podcast. I am Brad Pohl, your host, and this is where we tell the stories of sinners and saints. When private judgment is guided by everyone's individual inclinations, it seems that everything is up for grabs, and the moral weight of all teaching collapses. Consider that in the early church, poverty was largely viewed with compassion and even seen as a badge of holiness in the case of those who had voluntarily given up everything for God. Yet in the emerging worldview, men came to see the poor with disdain, considering them lazy and deserving of their lot in life. Those who criticize the church, it could be said, are just too close to see it properly. Their sulks and their perversity and their petty criticisms are merely just knee-jerk reactions. What they need to do is to back up, back up far enough to see the church in all its startling beauty and unexpected truth. This and the following are excerpts of G.K. Chesterton's book, The Everlasting Man, who writes of the two biggest points in history. The first is the uniqueness of the creature called man, and the second is the uniqueness of the man called Christ. So what do we know about early man? Well, the one thing we really know for sure is that he was an artist, because the caveman left behind his drawings on the wall of the cave. The creature who made these drawings was truly different from all other creatures, because he was a creator as well as a creature. And art is his signature. It is just one of the many things that demonstrate that the more we look at man as an animal, the less he will look like one. The other exclusively human thing is called religion. Religion is as old as civilization, and civilization is as old as history. As Chesterton would say, when we study history, the curtain rises on a play already in progress. And it was religion that advanced civilization. If we study any civilization, we see that after progress comes decay. Because men do not grow tired of evil, but of good. They become weary of joy. They stop worshiping God and start worshiping idols, which are their own bad imitations of God, and they become as wooden as the things they worship. They start worshiping nature and they become unnatural. They start worshiping sex and they become perverted. Men start lusting after men and become unmanly. The most ignorant of humanity know, by the very look of the earth, that they have forgotten heaven. But then something marvelous happens in history. And it also happens in a cave, a cave in Bethlehem. It is where heaven meets earth. God came to make a home in the world and finds himself homeless. A mass of legend and literature has sprung from this single paradox, that the hands that made the sun and stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle in the cave. Upon this paradox, all the literature of our faith was founded. It is something too good to be true, except that it is true. If we approach the gospel objectively, we will see it paints a picture of a man who was indeed a wonder worker, but who spoke in riddles and rebukes. His teachings were as difficult to accept in his own time as they are today. None of the critics of Christianity seem to appreciate the fact that Christ's teachings were not dependent on the social order in which he lived, but transcended their time altogether. The critics, of course, try to create a different Christ from the one portrayed in the Gospels by picking and choosing whatever they want. They always try to make him merely human, whether they make him a socialist or a pacifist or a madman. 
there must surely have been something, not only mysterious, but many-sided about the Christ, if so many smaller Christs can be carved out of him. But the main impression one gets from studying the teachings of Christ is that he really did not come to teach. Yet he makes the greatest claim of all. Muhammad did not claim to be God. Buddha did not claim to be God. But Christ did claim to be God. And the story gets stranger still. All of Christ's life is a steady pursuit towards the ultimate sacrifice, the crucifixion. Yet standing around the cross, all the great groups of mankind represent in one way or another the great historical truth of the time that the world could not save itself. Man could do no more. Rome, Jerusalem, and Athens, and everything else. The strength of the world was turned to weakness, and the wisdom of the world was turned to folly. For what could be stranger than the fact that the local execution of a minor revolutionary in an obscure outpost would become the central event in all of history? And that is where the cross stands, at the center of history. This central dogma of the Christian faith that Christ died, that Christ was for one instant forsaken of God, that God sacrificed himself to himself, is more mysterious than anything, even the mystery of creation itself. And those who object to this dogma do so not because the dogma is bad, but because it is too good to be true. The gospel story does not end with God's death, It ends with the most startling episode of all, an empty grave, and God again walking in a garden as on the first day of creation. It is this strange story that explains why Christianity has done something different than just survive. It has itself returned to life many times after having been apparently defeated. It has died many times and risen again for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. If there is anything beautiful about art, it might be how it portrays a final scene. Things which rise up, overcome and finish strong, spark in all of us a sense of hope, a deep call within us for endurance, because all humanity suffers, and we all need to be challenged to fight on. Indeed, Jesus, who spoke in riddles and rebukes, shared these words that transcend time, saying, He who endures to the end will be saved. And so we beg, endure. How so? And with what? And with whom? Jesus responds to us, Just as you did it to one of the least of these, who are members of my family. You did it unto me. So rise up, O man of God. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. The 24th proverb tells us, the just shall fall seven times and rise again. We are called to endurance, to overcome, and to finish strong. Ain't it so? This is Gittin' Grit signing off. Blessings to you all. Dominus Vobiscum.